Hi there, I'm Tom Schultz, host of Voices of Montana, an issue-oriented newsmaker radio program heard weekdays on 18 radio stations with 27 signals all across the Treasure State. Thanks for clicking on the podcast. Please subscribe and we'll do our best to keep you connected. We're also on Facebook at Voices of Montana and on the Internet at VoicesOfMontana.com, where I'd love to hear from you. Contact me at Tom at VoicesOfMontana.com. Have a load here in studio, and I'm just going to turn it over uh, to tell the story of of return. It's a uh, retired Green Beret returning to to Vietnam, um, as as the documentary says, uh, for for one final mission. That retired Green Beret with us in studio here in Vietnam War veteran. It's Jim Markle Senior, and uh, and your son is here. Uh, and both servicemen, thank you for your service. I appreciate it. Um, I, I don't know if you can hear it enough, but hello, Jim Jr. Good morning, everybody. Semper five. Yeah, there you go. Um, also, we have filmmakers, Beartooth Films uh, and filmmakers Pete Tolton is with us here. Pete? Morning. Thanks oh. for having me. And then also Stan Parker is with us, too. Let's go, let's go over to Jim Sr. Jim, thank you uh, again for, uh, you know, for coming in and being able to talk about this. How does it feel? How, how does it feel to be at this point now when you first started talking with your son and, and others about getting back? To, to Vietnam and, and doing some healing there. How does it feel now? Well, it feels pretty good. Uh, we started this thing probably three or four years ago, and uh, it's kind of given me a lot of uh, closure. Seven years ago, I'm getting signal over here. It was seven <laughs> years ago when uh, Pete and Stan interviewed me and uh, threw it out and said, how'd you like to go back to Vietnam? And I wasn't sure. Uh, I am sure now that it was a great thing to do. They're great guys, and they did a great film. Uh, I'm plugging the film, but you ought to go see it. Here in Billings on the, the 2nd of February at 6 o'clock at the Art House. Well, well, Pete, uh, go ahead and talk about uh, about this film a little bit, and where it can be seen and how we can access it. Sure, sure. This is a feature-length documentary that, um, like Senior mentioned, we started working on, gosh, back 2016. And now, you know, we've shown it just a few times in Billings and... <clears throat> Pardon me, and in Missoula, and um, we're really excited for a two-week run at the Art House, uh, the newly renovated Art House in downtown Billings, and uh, beginning Friday, February second at six p.m. Where all, all four of us, the Jims and Stan and I, will be uh, present, and we'll have other uh, screenings with with uh, post-screening Q and As and uh, special panels and guests in attendance to kind of get some much-needed context to the film and also um, add value and uh, introduce audience members to additional services and resources for mental health and veterans um, and connecting uh, intergenerationally, which is what this film's about. Yeah, that's a really a, a big part of it. I'm going to say hello to Jim Jr., and I, I appreciate um, your role in this as well. And, and the truths, I think, that, um, that you guys are talking about, about how people have, have come back from Vietnam and maybe lived with the pain, um, and not have felt welcomed. And as, as your father experienced that, and then you in the military as well, it brought new insights to you, I would hope. Absolutely. You know, we, you know, looking back, I'm, I'm my president Reagan was president when I joined the service. So it's, uh, I'm getting up there in years. And so you look at that era, you know, coming back from six, late sixties and seventies, joining the military was not a popular thing to do. You know, post nine 11 veterans have a different perspective and a different reception from the United States in general. So, you know, my father's generation and my generation, we were just kind of ignored. And so, you know, for, for his experiences there, you know, he was uh, you know, over there quite a, quite a while because it's multiple tours. 
Um, so I grew up all over the world. I was born in Italy, and you know we we traveled and moved. So we were never in one place very long. But the with his two branches of service, he was in the army during the Vietnam era, and then he switched over to the Marine Corps in the seventies. So we got like a dual experience, like the Army base is Fort Benning, Georgia. And then uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, which is a Marine Corps base, and then Camp Pendleton. And so it was, it was quite the arc, you know, of his career. Jim Sr., when, when did you recognize that some of these things were, were boiling up and, and that you wanted to deal with them? You probably couldn't put a finger on it necessarily, but when did you start thinking and, and maybe when did you crack the ice uh, to start talking about it? Well, when did I find out that I had PTSD? I uh, should that- have asked it that way. That, that is, a, again, a while back. Uh, I just woke up one day. I was frustrated with everything. My family uh, was frustrated with the way I was acting. And so I went and got some help. And I got some help from an ex-helicopter uh, pilot who told me, you did the best you could do at the time. So don't, don't stay there. Move forward. So that's what I'm doing right now, moving forward. PTSD never goes away. It's a, like, you know, no, you can't quit smoking. You always think about it. Jim Jr., I'm, I'm going to have you uh, kind of talk about that. Um, uh, yeah, and you guys have done that. Uh, you, you, don't, you, don't get this, you don't get this level of intimacy in a film unless you're willing to talk about it. And you guys talked about building the trust, and you have trust with these people. Um, what can you share about, as your father noted, um, I became a little bit difficult because of those experiences. Well, I would say that, you know, always put off to, like, troops blowing off steam, you know. Um, you know, brawling is just part of the military, you know. Yeah. So um, in more, you know, in more extreme cases, you know, they've had, you know, mo- you know, incidents where suicide and sometimes lashing out and things like that. So there's all manifestations of PTSD. But for my father, I think it happened after retirement. You know, like, it's, that's when it seemed like, you know, the camaraderie's gone the excitement, the adrenaline rushes, no more jumping out of airplanes and, you know, 100 mile an hour, you know, you know, parachuting into the ocean at night. All that stuff is a lot of fun. And you, you miss the adrenaline rush. And so that, that, those adrenaline rushes are what kind of sustains you. And, you know, I'm not a combat veteran. My father is. So I was in during that little window, 85 to 89 during peacetime. But I still did a lot of training and, you know, saw a few things here and there. You know, we had fatalities and during training and things. Yeah. It's just part of the, you know, part of the, the life in the military. You put your life on the line, literally. And it was the genesis of a very successful business as well, Red Ox. Right. Father and I, you know, we kind of, he, he, his last duty station here uh, was Billings. So he ran the reserve training unit here for the reconnaissance unit. And uh, I would come up on leave and hunt with him. So once a year, I would take my, my annual leave and come up here and hunt with him and, um, when I got out, he coaxed me up here to come up and start Red Ox. And so we got that kind of off the ground out of the basement of the house. And, and I have a, a business partner who's a Navy veteran. And uh, Perry was like employee number three or four. And uh, so since then, we've taken it in the direction that everybody kind of sees and knows. But, you know, in the, in the beginning, it was just my, my father and I. There is a story uh, behind that as well, redox, R-E-D-O-X-X dot com for more information on that. Were you both former paratroopers or? Uh... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the idea came from, and that's where the logo comes from as well. Stan Parker, we got your mic working? I don't know. Is it working? 
Oh, here, come over here. Come in here. I, I want you to, to tell me, uh, because as I started here, I started talking about how we keep things inside an awful lot. And that's, that's kind of the genesis of, of PTSD. How do you tell a story? How, how did you tell this story to get the trust and also to, to be able to, to convey that, that sense of, of healing throughout it all? Well, I think that's a great question. And I think part of the, most of the filmmaking process is really just listening. You know, putting ourselves in situations where um, we can ask these guys questions and be able to receive their responses. And I think that, um, you know, especially when it comes to veterans of any generation, I think, um, you know, not, it's not necessarily about prying into painful memories or like scratching at stuff, but I think it's about just like showing that you're willing to receive stories when they're willing to be told and then honoring those stories once they're told. And I think that, you know, as a journalist and filmmaker, you just hope that you can uh, really portray someone in a way that's honest and respectful of their experience and in a way that other people can learn something from that experience. Pete, I'm going to have you respond to that as well. The, the, the challenges that you had to overcome in, in making this documentary. Well, there were many challenges. Uh, <clears throat> I've been trying to think of a better way to phrase due to my incompetence, but I should say we've learned a lot in the past six <laughs> years. And so <laughs> the you know, of course, the film we set, the story we set out to tell very much morphs as you get into it. And that's kind of the magic and difficulty um, of observational documentary filmmaking is that you, you know that there is some sort of story. You find identifiable, compelling characters. You get to know them. They get to know you. You build trust. But, of course, by the time, you know, we finished a, uh, our first publicly viewable cut in 2022 it was just a totally different animal than what we started out with and mean and it's interesting you know as a as a distinctly community very local effort we have to we're staying in touch with jim senior and jim jr you know and we we have great relationships and so not only do we have a level of integrity and you know kind of dedication to honesty that compels us to represent them authentically but we got to keep showing up and facing these guys afterwards so we're not just parachuting in hanging out with them for a couple days and leaving to edit and depict them however we see fit you know we're continuing this relationship over the years and that's that keeps a high bar for us to keep it real jim jim senior um did they was there a twisting of the arm um did, did two people, four people have to get that arm to uh, how, how difficult was it for you to say um, th- and this is very personal how difficult was it for you to say um, I want to open up my life uh, to other peoples to learn from this struggle it was very difficult uh, especially in the beginning you had to establish trust in the people that are going to do this so we did a lot of one on one interviews prior to going to Vietnam a lot and during that time, it was very emotional. And uh, I began to trust them, and then they said, well, are we really going to go? And then when we finally decided to do it, it went pretty fast. I bet it did. What was that journey for you, Jim Jr., when, um, when you saw your dad go through this emotional time? Well, part of, you know, dealing with a father-son relationship, right, you know, yeah. he's my father, not my friend. <laughs> 
He'll probably say the same thing. Right. You know, and it's, and it's, and that's the thing. You know, you look back at our generation and how fathers and sons had that adversarial challenging. You know, I had to like, you know, measure up to him, you know. So we, you know, in some ways, it's a small competition. I'm, I'm never going to, you know, have the career that he had, right? You know, but I did join the Marine Corps. I did get into reconnaissance. You know, some of the things, the goals I set for my life, I was able to say, well, I can do that too. But, you know, breaking down the walls between that is, you know, dad's had his own journey, you know, and, and very much, you know, the strongest person I've ever known. And so looking at that and saying, how could he be hurting? You know, I, I just couldn't imagine it. And so that's his story his journey. I'm there to support, you know, like I got his back. Marine Corps officers and also a, a Green Berets, Jim Markle Sr., Jim Markle Jr. We're with Pete Tolton in studio and also Stan Parker. I thought I was doing the right thing at the right time. At that age, it was exciting. It was a high, I got to say that. It seemed surreal, like a movie you'd see through your own eyes. It wasn't until 1980, five years after the end of the Vietnam War, that the condition post-traumatic stress disorder was even identified. One minute we're in combat, next minute we're back home. It was just too much. You get so far down that you can't climb out. And that's when you either get help or that's it. That was the voice of Jim Markle Sr., part of this trailer. Let's let's continue it on here. It's a two-minute trailer for the documentary Return. He'll be able to just show me, which may be easier than just talking about it. That's Jim Markle Jr. Brought something back from Vietnam. He's carried it with him for 40-plus years now, and I think he's going to leave it behind. I hope he can. I want to make sure that what I did was okay, that it was worthwhile to do. Everybody says, who's your hero? And I'm like, well, it's my father. It's the guy that taught me how to be who I am. Quitting is not an option. You will go to the failure point. Everything's changing. I'd also like to see what happened to those units that were left behind. We were supposed to pull a lot of people out of Vietnam, and we just left and abandoned them. I have been waiting 45 years to come here again that's the trailer for the documentary return you can find out more information and and even how to show that in your communities returnfilm.org we have the director and producer in studio director pete tolton producer stan parker and then also i, I don't know if you guys like being called the stars of the show but i, I think it's uh, it's an easy reference for us to make uh, jim markle senior and Jim Markle Jr. here. And this is the story of uh, Jim Markle Sr.'s return to Vietnam after you had noted 45 years, uh, Jim Sr. That, uh, what was it like? So then after 45 years, you, you land. I mean, it's, what, what was that experience you were going through? Well, uh, I had heard about people getting off the plane, walking out the door, and getting back on the plane. I wasn't sure what to expect when I got off the plane. Because when I walked out that door and the sight, the smells, the sounds, everything seemed like it just hit me and I was back in Vietnam and it was just like yesterday. 
So uh, we picked up our guide and uh, we proceeded to spend 27 days on camera with all these guys uh, filming me and I'm supposed to ignore them. That's not weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, um, again, go ahead and, and tell that story then. Um, what Your first day, uh, kind of um, unnerving, but um, in, in the telling of the story, there was a point where you felt more comfortable. Um, when did that come? Actually, uh, I don't think it was unnerving. When I walked out that door, we met the guide. Uh, I was kind of at home. Uh-huh. It was, uh, you know, going back, and uh, the stress wasn't there. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. But uh, I, I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel good. I was just there at home. Didn't know what to expect. I, I think um, from what I'm getting here, nobody really kind of knew what to expect. Uh, it, and that's part of the beauty, I think, of this documentary, Jim Jr., is that um, we get to see it on, um, you know, develop as you guys get to see it develop. Did you have expectations? What, what were you thinking your father was thinking um, when you landed back in Vietnam? Well, that's a tough question. Yeah, I try not to <clears throat> think what other people think too much because it's <laughs> I've got my own thoughts. But, you know, I think I didn't look at any of the work while it was being made, right? This this is very much Stan and Pete's creation of, of, of the telling of the story. They're the storytellers, the yeah. makers. And so <clears throat> I was more concerned about, you know, is my father feeling all right? You know, can you know, is he is he gonna be able to make it per se? You know, I mean he's made a lot of other things. So it was just a matter, you know, with his with his age and such, you know, he was definitely not feeling the best at that point. You know, um, I've got him now going to the gym four days a week over at Adaptive Performance Center. He looks great. Plug. Yeah, a little yeah, plug for those guys. Yeah. Um, it's a veteran-only gym here in yes. Billings. It's yep. another fantastic organization. I think they got a shop in Helena now, too. Yeah, they just opened up yeah. another. Inside. So, you know, getting behind him for that, for that support in that way has been a big part. You know, as he's gotten older, I guess, you know, you get a little frailer he was never frail you know green beret no right yeah uh, uh, (laughs) so he might have been but he wasn't going to tell you that was never my role was to like as a son right my my role as a son was to live up to his expectations yeah so that's to me you know i'm just there like you know i've got his back basically how pete and stan and you guys can just share this question how did you guys stay out of the way how how Mm. did you how did you kind of direct because you guys probably had some expectations um you know, and you wanted to try and meet those. And, of course, you were open and flexible. How did you stay out of the way, Peter? Well, you know, we spent a lot of time just, you know, being on the periphery of the moment with our cameras and with our audio gear and just trying to capture what was happening authentically without interrupting. Occasionally, you know, I'd step in and say, I didn't, I didn't catch that or could you say that again or like, gosh, the light here is terrible, step over here. But in general, we're really trying to let things unfold um, as they actually would. We, did, we had a lot of, um, I guess, anxiety about filming without permits. We didn't, just, we didn't ask really any permission, and we didn't know what that was going to be like you know, under the communist regime. And it turned out to be okay, but it took a, a while for that anxiety to kind of dissipate. Um, but really, we are there as observers, but also 
inevitably co-participants. You know, we are mm-hmm. riding in the van. We are e- eating meals together. We're trying desperately to like defer our eating so we can capture an authentic lunch and then inhale our food in like 90 seconds. But that is, as we were discovered, quite impolite. Everybody's laughing here about that, by the way. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky role to play because obviously um, 100% authenticity is impossible just by our, our being there and by our being there with this equipment and this intention and this intention being known in every room we walk into effectively. Um, but I hope that it didn't move the dial too much in a way that prevented uh, good outcomes and that prevented people from showing their their true selves. Um, of course, we're always wearing masks, but um, the masks that they showed while on camera um, were good enough for me and um, audience feedback says it's good enough for them. So that's that's the only test it could pass. You know, Stan, I'm interested in some of the, the challenges and difficulties as filmmakers in this as well. Um, and maybe you can share that, but, but, but go ahead and, and respond to um, you know your journey as well through this. Because when you're, when you're watching somebody else and it's people that you maybe love or you know trust and you've got that relationship with you're on that same journey to a a certain degree yeah i think when you bring up the journey part of it you know just managing the logistics of this pretty complex trip was a monumental task in itself and we, we got off to on a really crazy footing where our flight got delayed when we were over there we all got separated on different itineraries there's a chance that uh pete got sent to like Japan and me and the gyms got sent to Malaysia and there was a chance that and they were just trying to like get us on seats as they came available there was a chance I was I was going to get separated from the gyms on their flight to Vietnam and not get there when they arrived so the the first day we were in Vietnam we were just trying to get like synced back up and like get Pete there and like the so and then just you know, you kind of don't realize till you're there just how long the days in the van are going to be. There were several days where there were just travel days. And uh, I think, you know, obviously we we didn't schedule any – we scheduled barely any breaks for ourselves. You know, there was like a couple beach days for the gyms, but we didn't – Pete and I didn't schedule a rest day for us because we were filming their rest days. So, you know, it was it – was, I'd say it's really pretty exhausting, but also – really stimulating and really fun and just real it was a real honor to get to participate in these guys journey well and it's an honor that you guys are here in the studio to share this as well there's a special showing uh, in billings and this this documentary is also recognized as well um uh, through through some festivals and we'll talk about that to returnfilm.org for more information very much um Intrigued by a guest here today and the story that they're telling. It's told, it's told in a great way in this film, the documentary Return, a story, as they say here on returnfilm.org, a story of adventure, vulnerability, and healing that follows Jim Markle Sr., retired Green Beret, who goes from Montana back to Vietnam for the first time since the war. Jim Jr. accompanied him. And filmmakers Stan Parker, producer uh, with Bear Two Films, and also Pete Tolton, all in studio here today. Thank you guys for being here. Um, I'm going to go uh, to the filmmakers first because I want to know what the people um, of, of Vietnam were like. And, and, uh, but, but tell me where you were at. Uh, give us, draw us a map, and then tell us the people that you were interacting with. Sure. Yeah, I think basically we, this film took place over the, the area where Jim Sr. served. So 
Uh, we flew into into Saigon. We went up the coast to what was the DMZ and dipped our toe over to the north side um, and then came back down and then went up into the central highlands. And the I think this entire, this is a, it was a huge journey and we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about our guide, Vin, who was our lifesaver. We called him doctor, teacher, translator. Uh, we had a bunch of uh, different nicknames or tit- honorifics for Vin, I should say. Um, what did he call you? Um, we don't speak Vietnamese. Vietnamese. Yeah, oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but Vin, Vin was just great. We had local guides everywhere we went, but Vin was our main guide who was going ahead of us to um, make sure that um, the people we were about to meet knew we were going to show up with cameras and film everything. Um, to make sure all our food was safe to eat. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Vin is really the unsung hero in this whole adventure, and I be remiss if we didn't uh, sing his praises I'm, at least a little bit here this morning i'm glad you did yeah and and uh, jim senior let's let's talk about your impression then when um you went back these are the people that you remember from 45 years ago um and you're seeing them again and you've got some questions and and your heart's probably wanting to pour out to them a little bit about as you noted we played that trailer was it okay um uh, talk about again getting back in the middle of vietnam and experiencing life from their eyes well i can say now that it yes it was okay very emotional times but i have to say that the reason i'm here talking to you is because of those mountain yards those mountain yards took care of me i had 40 of them that uh were employed by the united states government and uh, that was my platoon to, and we had american squad leaders so there are five of us and uh the mountain yards are just unbelievable people they're very friendly uh they'll do anything for you and we found that hadn't changed a bit when we went back they were the same people except with they i found out more about what troubles they had you know like the internment camps and things like that but uh yeah they're great people so were the vietnamese i worked with the vietnamese uh on during my first tour there and uh they were uh, Vietnamese Rangers were just fantastic, so I, I'd say both groups are. You know, I had more to do with the mountain yards, of course, because we lived with them and stayed with them twenty four seven. It's hard to ask the following question, but because they live maybe in a world of conflict uh, on a more regular basis than we do here, so we it's hard to understand that context. Um, but what is their takeaway from this war now? What? Um, What's their takeaway um, today about America? I don't know if uh, I had words to say that they might say they were proud to serve. They love the Americans. And uh, I guess that's about it. Uh They're they're just fantastic people. Yeah. Good. I'm happy for that. Go ahead, Pete. One thing I'll jump in to say is that, you know, we did have trouble sometimes getting people to express opinions and to be critical in any manner and even now that i've you know we've sent the finished film to vin and he just kind of gives us two thumbs up of course i'd love to know more about if anything is inaccurate if he feels fairly represented um, if the historical you know pieces are, are are reasonable and fair as far as he's concerned but that case in point and the and the many proddings i uh in my conversations with the tribes people um to try and get them to 
express their opinions about the war, about our presence, uh, to try and explain their geopolitical context or just their context within their subregion. Um, those conversations are very challenging. And, I, and my suspicion, and this is unfounded, but my suspicion is there, there isn't a culture of criticism there. Yeah. They, that that may be, that may, it just may be totally different and they don't remark upon things with the same judgmental eye that we do and that we demand in our conversations. Probably a fear of government um, culturally will will do that, I think, as you settle into that. Jim, Jim Jr., um, your takeaway from, from the people that um, your dad eventually started talking about and, and, and left an impression on, on his life. Well, one thing you notice when you're there, it's a, there's not a lot of people his age there. Um, things were very tough after the war. Uh, for the people that supported the Americans, they were pushed into internment camps where life was very tough, and a lot of them have not lived past 60. I, I would say it's a very young country, so you see a lot of young people, and the young people venerate their elders much differently than, and, and when he, every now and then he would pop off with a little bit of Vietnamese and heads would snap around and they, all of a sudden a crowd would form around him. And, and so, and they, you know, you, it's interesting to think, you, know, you think there would be decades of like internal hatred towards America and in, in the war. And, you know, but look at Germany, you know, uh, post-World War II, Germany is a completely different place in, in a lot of ways. And again, I think there was a population boom after World War II. And, you know, per, you know, I don't know. It was just there's something that, that post-war, you go to these post-war countries and visit them after there's been a few decades, and it just seems like the, you, the animosity that you expect to be there is not there. Now, maybe in the north part of Vietnam, Maybe there's more, but we did. We just kind of just went up to the border, and I've heard that they're a little more fierce, more anti-American in North Vietnam, because of course we were B-52 arc light strikes. You know, it was you know when somebody bombs you from the sky, that's not fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, Stan, did you want to share anything about um, an impression that you had from the people? Yeah, I think you know one of my favorite scenes in the film is um, we had our guide. Vin invites some Montenard veterans uh, in a particular region for a dinner with us. And then at the end of the dinner, we asked them to stand up and share their stories about what they went through during and after the war. And uh, there's, I, I think, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to set up a particular anecdote where one guy stands up and talks about getting sent to one of the re-education camps. And then he, uh, um, thinks he does a good job afterwards, and then they send him back again, and everyone laughs, like that's a laugh line. Um, uh, and so th they have a particular like attitude about the suffering that they went through. That um, I don't know if like there's some l level of like humor or that puts up like a shield, or that um, you know like they they really are survivors there, I guess. Um, and you didn't sense that them talking about the hardships that they went through was like um, a downer. You really got a sense of like resilience, even to the point of some things being presented as humor that were pretty um, unfamiliar to me. You know? Yeah, there was a moment my dad said something to me in passing. He said something. He goes something like the fact of like, no wonder we lost. Like people are incredibly tough and hardworking and just man. You know, there's there's some that work ethic. You know, they they 
they out-hustled us or something, you know? Well, yeah, and all the work they had to do after the war, so replant the forests, to sweep the minefields, to, you know, to rebuild their food supply, to, you know, to rebuild, to rebuild, you know, you really got a sense for, they, like afterwards, they, they went to work. How, how much of that for you, Jim Sr., um, was important to, to help you in this healing process, to find out how they responded after the war, to what they went through. Um, how did you absorb that as part of um, your personal healing and journey through this? I think uh, it's 100% of why we went there. I was uh, sad to hear about the, the camps and the re-education and things like that. But then, like uh, Stan says, they are resilient people. Uh, they came back. Uh, the scene that he's talking about is extremely emotional in the, uh, just watching it again, you know. And uh, I even got the opportunity when we uh, had a, a little get-together with the Mountain Yards to meet one of the survivors in my unit, which was really outstanding. And... Uh, the rest of them knew. We had pictures. Stan and uh, uh, Pete uh, brought uh, pictures of me in the early days, like uh, at the beginning of the film with my beret on, and 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 they they reacted to that. They knew that they they probably didn't know me, you know, ninety percent of them didn't know who I was, but they knew what Green Berets did, and it was kind of heartbreaking because again, we left them high and dry. We did not take them back to the United States like a that we were supposed to. That's the hard part. Um, I mean, but, and that's the lessons of war as well that we hopefully take and, and do better in the next sort of conflict. Um, and that's a great story. And I was going to ask uh, if, there's, if there's a face or a voice that comes to mind. Um, and, and, and that gentleman was one. Jim Markle Jr., um, is there a face or a voice that comes to mind when you think back of your, your time with your father in Vietnam? Boy, that's a tough one. I, I think my overall like takeaway from it was the fact, like from the fifty thousand foot perspective, was the fact that the country had healed and had modernized, and it was and it was a vibrant place, and it's someplace I'll for certain go again in my life. Um, but it was it's it's a pretty amazing country, you know. I've been to a lot of places on the planet, and it's one of the more interesting ones I've been to, just for the simple fact that the people there are. You know they're not bitter, you know they're not they're not angry with America, which is was quite surprising. You know, I, I would have thought. Yeah, it is a bit surprising, Peter. Yeah, and one thing that might contribute to that impression is that, you know, for especially for those of you just t- tuning in, we we were ex- almost exclusively treading ground that was, um, you know, in what was South Vietnam, and so what was, at least from the U.S. perspective, out, uh, areas that were allied with the u.s and so um i'm sure that that memory still burns bright for a lot of the older generations and exists in the conversations now and as was mentioned earlier things might be different in the north but um as we experienced with one of our local guides mr joe um who's wearing this just hilarious hat uh what, what does his hat say make america great again yeah i just is it just explicitly that yes and you know, we the the sort of the nuance of that we just didn't ask because my impression is that Joe simply loves America, and that's kind of the you know that's kind of uh, what what he's all about. And so, 
I think it was a homecoming as I understand. I don't want to put words in Jim senior's mouth, especially while he's in the room, but you know, it was like the, those, that old unity that's still there for some people. Uh, to finish up, Jim Markle Sr., Jim Markle Jr., um, and also Pete Colton and Stan Parkers were talking about this documentary, Return. And and uh, and Jim Sr., I want to make sure we get a message out here because as we talk, um, you kept a lot of that stuff inside. And a lot of veterans do that, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that too. Um, but you went back and got that healing and now you understand maybe that healing process a little more. What can you share with others out there who might be at that very same line? Well, basically, PTSD does not leave you. It does not go away. I would say get some help. There's plenty of help here in Billings with the VA and with private counseling. I go to a group thing with uh, other Vietnam vets, and it really helps. So I would say go get some help. Go see the movie, too. Yeah. You might uh, get a new perspective on PTSD. I'm going to save at least 30 seconds for that. Jim Jr., you served as well, um, but not in, not in conflict time. Um, does PTSD um, approach you? Mildly, yeah. yeah. There, you get in some scary situations, but you know we, we train for that and you know jumping out of planes and rappelling and fast roping and swimming in shark-infested waters. But that sort of stuff, you just, you know, for me, just living the life of danger is fun. So, yeah. <laughs> Anybody who knows Jim Jr., uh, they're shaking their head. Yeah, we get that. Uh, Stan Parker, uh, please, in the last 30 seconds here, tell me how people can access this film and, and why they should. Great. Well, for anyone in the Billings area, we plan from February 2nd to the 15th at Art House Cinema and Pub in downtown Billings. Come, come from all around, for yeah. that matter. Um, and for people who aren't in the Billings area, we'd love to hear from you if you'd like us to bring the film to your community. Uh, there's a contact form on our website at returnfilm.org. We'd love to hear from you. Also a link to uh, ticketing at the Art House there. You guys were really good. Thank you for that. And thank you for telling your story, Jim. Thanks again for joining us for the podcast. And join us daily Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. for more Voices of Montana on local stations all across Montana.